Good morning. And let's open class with prayer this morning. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your watch care. We thank you for the promise of Jesus and the soon return and the second coming and, and the passing away of all these things that are painful and dreadful on this earth. And we will see you soon. We pray that we can be effective as your witnesses on this earth at this time to help hasten that day. We pray in your holy name. Amen. That's right. Amen. Yes. So one announcement, a little sad announcement before we start class today and that Christie's father, Pastor Ralph Lefebvre, <laughs> passed away last night. <laughs> At the age of 90. We will make an announcement later about a memorial. Sorry. We're sorry. We're sorry. We're doing lesson number one in our new quarterly Ephesians. And in Tuesday's lesson, they remind us that in the New Testament time when Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesians, that uh, it would have arrived by a carrier and an individual would have stood up and read this letter to the church. You would not have get, gotten an individual copy to take home and read. And they suggest that to put ourselves in the position and to experience what the New Testament church would have, would have experienced there in Ephesus, that we have somebody read to us the, uh, the entire um, book, which is just six chapters, of, of Ephesians. And so I want you, we're going to do that this morning. Linda's going to come up, and Lindy, come on up, and she's going to read this to us from the remedy. And I want you to just imagine you're sitting there as a, a member of the, of the uh, Church of Ephesus, and this letter has just come from Paul. And what, what are you going to hear? And I've asked him not to put it on the screen, because you wouldn't have had the opportunity to read it. You would have just heard it. So, thank you. Paul, an ambassador of Christ Jesus, appointed by the will of God, Two, those who have partaken of God's healing remedy, those set right in heart and mind with God through Jesus Christ. God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ pour out their graciousness and peace to you. All praise and honor be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who through Christ has poured out all heaven for our good. For before the creation of this world, he determined that he would send Jesus to heal and restore humankind, deceived by Satan's lies, back to unity with himself. In love, he predetermined that through Christ, he would provide the remedy to remove the breach of distrust in our minds and hearts and restore us to full sonship with him, all in perfect keeping with his character, pleasure, and will. How amazing is God's glorious character of grace that he has freely given us all heaven in the one he loves. It is through the truth of God revealed in the life and death of Christ that we are won back from enemies of God into friendship and unity with him and now experience the forgiveness and healing that God has so freely given all of this is in accordance with the richness of God's character of grace as he constantly provides everything for our good so that we may grow in true wisdom and understanding. Because Satan's lies 
obscured the truth about God, making confusing and mysterious what was once plain. God sent Christ to reveal the truth and thereby remove the confusion and mystery by making plain the truth about himself and his will. This truth about God will, in time, under the leadership of Christ, reunite the entire universe in perfect harmony with God. In the person of Jesus Christ, we experience restored unity with God, the culmination of the Father's plan, the result of what God predetermined to do, as he always works for the healing and restoration of his creation. This is in order that we, who were the first to recognize the significance of all that Christ is and all he has done, might bring praise and glory to God by experiencing recreation of Christ-like character within. And you also were reunited with Christ when you accepted the remedy that Christ has achieved. Having trusted God on the basis of the truth Christ revealed, you have been marked with God's seal. You have been so settled into the truth that you cannot be moved. This transformation of heart and mind is brought about by the Holy Spirit, who is the first installment of our rich inheritance and evidence guaranteeing that our inheritance is secure until we take possession of it so that God may be praised. Because of this, ever since I heard about your trust in Jesus and your love for all our fellow believers, I have not stopped giving thanks for you or remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, to pour out his spirit of wisdom and revelation upon you so that you may know him and all he's trying to accomplish. I also pray that your reasoning abilities and conscience may be healed so that you can discern and understand God's purpose for all humanity, the incredible rich inheritance in store for his children, and God's incomparable power to heal and restore all who trust him. That life-giving power was seen as the outworking of his true strength which he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heaven, above all power, rulers, and authority, above all other kingdoms, empires, or governments, and above every title that can be given, now and forever. And God placed everything under Christ's governance and appointed him the supreme head over all creation, including the church, his body, the showcase of his character, which he fills with every blessing and ability. As for you, you were terminal and dying in the distrust, fear, and selfishness in which you used to live when you followed the survival of the fittest principle of the world instituted by the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the intelligent being whose principles are now at work in all those who reject truth, love, and freedom. All of us were born infected with this destructive survival of the fittest principle, and at one time gratified its selfish and unhealthy desires and thoughts. Like the rest of humanity, we were born infected with this principle, which, if not removed, would result in our self-destruction. But because God is love, because he's merciful, gracious, forgiving, patient, kind, and because he truly loves us, He removes the infection of distrust and selfishness and heals us through Christ. It is because God is gracious, loving, and kind that you have been healed from the 
have been healed and set right with him. God raised the human race from its degraded and detestable state through Jesus Christ's victorious life. And humanity again occupies its seat in God's heavenly council in the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord. In order that the amazing truth of God's gracious character may be showcased for all eternity through the love expressed to us in Jesus Christ. It is only because of God's grace that you have been healed through trust. And you did not create this trust yourself, but it was established through the evidence of God's character revealed in the gift of Jesus Christ. This is not by some human work. No way. So there's no room for anyone to boast. We are God's special creation brought to existence by Christ Jesus to showcase his character, his loving, living law of love, which was always God's design for us. Therefore, remember that you, who were born into the dark superstitions of the world, were considered uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcised, as they experienced bodily circumcision by human hands. That was before your minds were enlightened about Christ, and therefore you were separate from him, and you were not members of Israel, who was God's spiritual health care team, and therefore were unacquainted with God's plan to heal and restore Your condition was terminal because you were without God and therefore without hope and in the darkness of the world. But now you whose minds were once far away and who were practicing the principles of selfishness and survival of the fittest have been enlightened and brought near to God and are in unity with Christ through the truth revealed when he died. For Christ himself is the remedy that heals the species and brings peace. He has removed fear and selfishness that caused division, mistrust, prejudice, and hostility. He did this by partaking of our human condition and via the exercise of his human brain, he loved perfectly, thereby destroying in his flesh, in the humanity he partook, the selfish survival of the fittest drive along with the lies of Satan. In this way, he destroyed the need for the law with all of its regulations to expose Satan's lies. Sorry. And methods. His purpose was to be in a template of the new humanity born out of the unification of the two, our selfish, infected, Condition merged with his sinless state, thereby purging selfishness from the human heart and transforming, healing, renewing, regenerating, and recreating humanity back to God's original ideal. And in this new being, to reconcile the human race, regardless of ethnic background, into loving unity with God and each other through the revelation of truth at the cross by which he destroyed the lies of Satan reestablished trust and removed fear, selfishness, and hostility. He came and demonstrated the truth of God's character and the offer of peace available to all humanity, to those far away in darkness and those blessed with the truth of God's word. For Jesus reveals the truth about God to all, and through what Jesus has done, all have access to the Father by one Spirit. Therefore, Your minds are no longer confused, and you're no longer in darkness, and no longer foreigners, aliens, or outcasts, but members 
of God's house and citizens with God's people, living components of God's heavenly sanctuary, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, the source of all truth. In Christ, the entire structure is unified and grows to become a holy temple filled with God's spirit, revealing God's character. And with your minds in harmony with Christ, you too are being healed and transformed, rebuilt to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. It is because I have brought the healing truth about Christ Jesus to you, Gentiles, that I, Paul, am now a prisoner. Surely you've heard how God graciously gave me the healing message of truth for you. That is the truth previously not understood, but made known to me by revelation, as I have already written to you. In reading this, you will be able to understand the insight I have into the truth about God and Christ, the truth that was previously hidden by Satan's lies and distortions. These insights were not understood by previous generations because the lies of Satan were so effective that only Christ himself could refute them and provide the truth sufficient to make plain what God's Spirit had previously revealed to his holy apostles and prophets. This is the truth previously hidden and not understood. God loves all humanity, and all humanity is included in God's plan to heal and restore. And through the incredible good news of God as revealed in Christ, all humans are included in the promises given to Abraham and are therefore heirs of the blessings of salvation which come through Christ Jesus. I became an ambassador of this incredible truth by receiving the gift of God's healing remedy graciously given to me through the working of his power, the power of truth and love. Although I am the least deserving of all God's people, this gracious privilege was given me to take to the Gentiles the incredible truth of Christ and to explain to everyone God's methods and principles which have been misunderstood because of Satan's lies and distortions and for ages past were hidden in God but now are revealed by Christ who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, God's wisdom, methods, principles, and character should be revealed to all intelligent beings throughout the entire universe as we experience God's methods and character recreated within us according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ-likeness of character, experienced by trust in him, we may approach God freely and with confidence. Therefore, please don't be discouraged because of my sufferings for you. They are for your healing and beneficial for your character development. It is for your healing and transformation that I kneel before the Father, from whom his entire family in heaven and on earth derives its character, methods, and principles. I pray that out of the glorious riches that emanate from his being and through the working of his spirit in your minds, you will be fully transformed into Christ-likeness and so settled into God's methods and principles, you cannot be shaken." So that Christ will dwell in your hearts through trust. And I pray that you, rooted and transformed by love, will have your minds enabled, together with all the saints, to grasp how immense and wide and long and deep and high is the love of Christ. And to know in every fiber of your beings this love that surpasses intellectual knowledge, that you may become living showcases of God's loving character. 
Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or could ever imagine, according to his life-giving power at work within us, be all honor and praise and glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all time, forever and ever. Amen. As one in prison for preaching the message of Jesus, I urge you to live a life that reveals the incredible benefits of God's way of living. Think first of others and be gentle, be loving, patiently working with each other, helping each other to grow and mature. Do all in your power to stay united with the Spirit in promoting the principles of truth and peace. There's only one way of life and health, one body and one spirit of truth, just as you were called to the one hope of recovery and restoration when you were called. There is one Lord One principle of life, the principle of love, one immersion of the mind, and one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But Christ gives each one of us just what we need in each circumstance for our good and our development. This is why it said, when he descended to heaven, he took with him those who were once captive in the grave and gave gifts to humans. The phrase, he ascended is meaningful only because he had first descended from heaven to this lowly earth. And he who descended to earth is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the entire universe. It was he who selected some as his ambassadors, some to be spokespersons, some to be preachers of the healing message, some to care for and minister to his children and some to educate and instruct, all in order to heal God's people, enabling them to help each other so that the body of believers may grow in number and strength until we all reach true unity of heart, methods, motives, and principles in harmony with the knowledge of God as revealed in Jesus and become mature, developing Christ-like character. Then we will no longer be children unable to think for ourselves and easily confused, tossed back and forth by every new and emotional teaching brought by the scheming trickery of charismatic speakers. Instead, we will grow up and be like Christ, presenting the truth in love and leaving others free to come to their own conclusions based on the evidence. The entire body of believers is joined together with Christ. Each member draws their strength from him and then ministers in love to the needs and the rest of the body as each part does its assigned task. So I tell you this plainly, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you are to grow and mature. You must think for yourselves and not live like the Gentiles who believe all kind of things that don't make sense. Their minds are darkened, their thinking is confused because they have rejected the truth of God and his methods and have preferred lies that hardened their hearts and separated them from God. They have lost all compassion, morality, and tenderness and have immersed themselves in sensuality, practicing every kind of impurity, and are constantly lusting for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ by practicing such impure behavior. Instead, you heard of him and studied the truth of God's methods and character as revealed by Christ. You were taught that the former ways of life, the survival of the fittest ways, the selfish me-first ways, only lead to self-destruction and death. 
that health and life consist of putting off such motives and desires. You were taught the importance of being recreated in heart and mind and displacing the principles of selfishness with those of love and experiencing a complete transformation of character, such as you are an entirely new being, recreated in heart attitude to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Therefore, each of you must choose to stop being deceitful in every way. And instead, be truthful and honest in all your conduct, for we are members of one body, and such behavior injures both you and the body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let your anger or any strong emotion take control of your minds and determine your choices. Don't retain anger in your hearts. The devil tempts us through our emotions. So don't give him any opportunity to confuse you or lead you astray. The person who has been stealing has been practicing the methods of selfishness. And if they desire to get well, they must have selfishness replaced by love. When selfishness is replaced by love, they will stop stealing. And instead, get a job in order to be able to give to others in need. Don't speak unwholesome words, for your words react on the mind, and unwholesome words damage and destroy. Instead, speak what is helpful and uplifting, encouraging others and benefiting those who listen. And do not close your minds to seeking more truth and thus grieve the spirit of truth who set your minds free from Satan's lies and settled you into the truth of God's character and methods for the day of our deliverance. Purge your hearts from all bitterness, rage, and anger, desire for vengeance, conflict, and rumor-mongering, along with every other form of malice and ill will. Be kind, gentle, compassionate, and forgiving with each other as God's forgiving to you. Remember that all humanity suffers with the same infection of selfishness, and God provides the same remedy for all. Model yourselves after God as children after their father. And live your life in love, practicing principles of beneficence, the principle of giving upon which life was created to operate, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, beautifully revealing God's character to all. But within you, there must not be even a trace of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity, because these arise out of selfishness and destroy the higher faculties of the mind and are inconsistent with growth into God's holy people. Nor should there be any cursing, foul language, vulgarity, ugly comments, coarse joking, or rumor spreading. These are all evidence of a heart filled with selfishness and evil. Instead, speak words of praise and thanksgiving and reveal that God's love is in your heart. For you can be sure of this, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater because their character is selfish and they worship themselves, will be in the kingdom of Christ or God. Because God's kingdom is the kingdom of self-sacrificing love. Don't be deceived by flattery, proclamations, or proclamations or declaration without evidence. For those who believe Claim without evidence, uh, and believe claims without evidence are easily deceived, and God ultimately lets them follow the self-destructive course of their choosing. Therefore, do not join forces with them. In the past, you promulgated the dark lies and methods of Satan, but now you're conduits of the light of truth and the life-giving methods of the Lord. Live as children of this light. For those who live by the light practice of the principles of goodness, during doing right in all situations, and understand God and his purposes, and what he's pleased with, 
don't have anything to do with the destructive practices of those whose minds are darkened, but rather present the light of truth which exposes them. For it is damaging and degrading to dwell upon what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light of truth becomes understandable, for it is the truth that reveals all things. And this is why it said, wake up your brain and start thinking. Stop zoning out like you're dead and Christ will shine and the light of, tru- the light of truth into your mind. Be vigilant in your lifestyle. Make choices that are healthy and wise, not unhealthy and foolish. And make the most of every opportunity for growth, because the days in which we live are filled with temptations that lead to self-destruction. Don't be foolish, but understand God's methods and what He's trying to accomplish, so that you can cooperate intelligently with Him. Do not get drunk on wine or get high on drugs, as it leads to wild living and destroys the brain. Instead, be filled with the spirit of truth and love. When talking with each other, talk of God's love and character and sing songs of praise together. Keep your hearts in tune with the Lord and be thankful to God the Father for everything revealed in the character of our Lord Jesus Christ. Humbly serve one another out of appreciation for Christ. Wives, follow the Christ-like leadership of your husbands, for the husband is the spiritual leader of the wife, as Christ is the leader of the church, his body, of whom he is Savior. As the church follows the leadership of Christ, so also wives should follow the Christ-like leadership of their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave everything he had, including his life, for her, to purify her. By the application of the truth, cleansing her from everything that destroys and defiles, to perfectly heal her, enabling her to meet him face to face without any defect or deformity, but perfect and pure. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as part of themselves, doing everything in their power for the good of their wives. He who loves his wife loves also himself. Think about it. Does a healthy person hate their own body? No, they care for it. They eat nutritiously and exercise regularly, just as Christ constantly nurtures his church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his parents and join himself together with his wife, and the two separate individuals will become one joint partnership united in heart, love, mind, devotion, confidence, purpose, and motive. This is a wonderful mystery. I'm talking about Christ and the church. But remember that each husband must love his wife, sacrificing himself for her good, and each wife must respect the Christ-like leadership of her husband. Children, obey the Christ-like leadership of your parents, for this is healthy and right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment to reveal some of the benefits of developing a healthy relationship. That life may go well and you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not mistreat your children. Instead, raise them with God's principles of love and teach them to think for themselves, always searching for truth. Slaves, be respectful, honest, and faithful to your earthly masters, just as you would be to Christ. Follow their leadership, not just to get their praise, but to reveal the high standard of character possessed by those who are Christ-like, always doing God's will from a sincere heart. Serve lovingly and wholeheartedly as if you were serving Jesus himself because you know that character development and our rewards in Christ are the same, whether we are slaves or free. And you, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. 
Look out for their health and good, and do not abuse or mistreat them, since you understand that all humanity is infected with the same sickness of heart and mind, and he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and distributes his healing remedy equally to everyone and without favoritism. Finally, stay strong in your connection and devotion to the Lord and his mighty power. Arm your minds with God's complete set of armor so that you can join the ranks of Christ's soldiers and stand successfully in the face of the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but with man, with man-made weapons, but against all individuals, entities, and powers that misrepresent God and darken minds and against Satan, the originator of lies about God and his cohorts who also misrepresent God in the heavenly realms. Therefore, arm your minds with God's full set of armor so that when Satan's grand deception comes and it seems to the heavens are about to fall, you are able to stand. And when you've done everything to present the truth and expose Satan lies, don't falter. Stand. Stand firm with the truth of God wrapped around you like a belt, with a righteous Christ-like character developed within like a breastplate. And the peace that comes from accepting the good news about God, like track shoes providing good traction and a solid foundation. Also, hold fast the shield of trust, which extinguishes all the burning fear and insecurity brought by the devil's temptations. Take with you the helmet of a healed mind, a mind protected from the assaults of Satan, and attack the lies about God with the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, the truth." And talk with God with an enlightened mind intelligently on all occasions about all your concerns, requests, plans, and issues. With all of this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for God's people. When you talk with God, remember me also that whenever I speak, God will give me wisdom and courage to speak clearly the truth of his character, methods, and principles of which I am an ambassador in chains, requested Divine assistance that I may declare this truth fearlessly. Tychicus, our dear brother and faithful servant of God, will tell you everything so that you may know all I'm doing and how I am. I'm sending him to you especially for this purpose so that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with trust from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God's blessing to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with undying love. Amen. So if you were in Ephesus and you just got that letter from Paul from prison, what, what, what did you hear that, that struck your heart? What are the key elements that, that resonated with you? You can't remember it all. It's too much. So the spirit uh, hit, hit your heart with something. What, what was important in that letter to you? God's love. God's love. Did God's love come through? What else? Anything else? How vast his love is, and it's incredible. Satan's out there to get us. Satan's out there. We have an enemy, don't we? Yeah. Mm-hmm. When we're filled with God's love, there's no division. There's no division, so the love brings unity. The, the, the idea that we all suffer from the same condition, all humanity, regardless of station, we all have the same problem, we all need the same solution, and there's only one path, one what says one baptism. I, I use the trans paraphrase, immersion of the mind and heart. In the Holy Spirit, yes. I can it too when um, they were sitting there listening. I tried to put myself in their place. And it was the same way I reacted when I started hearing come and reason and the truth that was revealed and how excited they must have been, you know, to hear this truth. 
Thank you. Other other observations, thoughts, impressions. Always talks about healing. I mean, we're all sick, and we're all we we tend to think of each other as different levels of badness or goodness. But in God, you know, He's He's out to save us all, to heal us all. Yeah. Unconditionally, if we'll just trust Him and let Him. And this mystery, the mystery. Did you hear about the mystery? Mm-hmm. By putting on the armor of God, we're com- completely covered and protected from everything. Everything would follow that. Yeah. And, and, and we're protected in not physical body, in our hearts, minds, and spirits. Yeah. yeah. What was going on in their lives at that time? I mean, they didn't have Bibles, so they couldn't read anything at home. Could That's right. That's exactly right. That's why we had it read out loud here today, because this is how they would have experienced it. I mean, they didn't have any, their daily lives, what were they consisted of? I mean, they didn't have the Bible to read, they didn't have books to read, or how did they worship or... So the ones with the Jewish background could have had the, the Torah or the, or the scriptures. They were retained in scrolls at the local synagogues. Often copies were made and they could have gone. But my understanding is that much of the culture, the individual members memorized sections. They might go and, and memorize a section because they couldn't take it with them, except it was memorized. And so they might memorize a section of the, of the scripture that they could then take with them. Uh, I think the New Testament writers were not uh, dialing up their computer and getting their, their, their scripture on some you know, digital platform or even a book. I think as you read the New Testament and they're, and they're referencing scripture all the time, I don't know that we have any evidence that they had scrolls that they were referencing. I think they were referencing their knowledge that they had learned through their life in the memorization in scripture. Now, it's perhaps they might have gone and checked some things out at the local synagogue, but, but I think they had a, a deep, deep internal knowledge and, and personal memory. Yes? I was just in this day, I understand people in Africa who don't have the gift of learning how to read have amazing memories. You know, because we can lean on our computers and stuff. So even to this day, let alone, this is 2,000 years ago, they had not degenerated near as much. And the second point... When you see people scared, like little kids at all, I think it helps us see our enemies. When they're scared, because of that, they're selfish and controlling, it's easier to somehow pity them and or just say, oh, they're scared. That's why they're overreacting. And it's easier, their compassion will wake up a little bit more when you see a little bit more through his eyes. So did you like the letter? Yeah. yeah. Well, let's go ahead and the lesson. On Sabbath's lesson... Uh, the second paragraph, we're going to read the second par- paragraph. It says, Paul has a profound purpose that motivates his letter, partly because of his imprisonment and partly because of ongoing persecution and temptation. The Ephesians are tempted to lose heart. Paul reminds them that what happened when they were converted, accepting Christ as their Savior and becoming part of the church, they have become Christ's body. The building materials in the temple, the bride, and the well-equipped army. They play a strategic role in fulfilling God's grand plan to unite everything in Christ. Paul writes to, uh, writes to awaken the believers in Ephesus uh, to their full identity and privileges as followers of Christ. When we're converted then, it's suggesting we become part of the church. Yes? We become part of the church, part of the body of Christ, part of the bride. What does that mean? that mean when we're converted we become part of a denomination? No. That's what they mean. So how can one tell 
if they've been par- become part of the body of Christ, if they've become part of the church, how can you tell? truth by how they live it's a unity of love really jesus he says unity of jesus said in john 13:34 and 35 yeah. uh, a new command i give you love one another as i have loved you so you must love one another by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, one another. Uh, how is that a new command is that the first time in, in scriptural in scripture record that that was given? He's talking to the Gentiles. No, he's talking to his disciples there. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. Yes, in John 13. Yes. Yeah. Treat everyone with Christ-like love. Yes, that's right. Yeah, so this is how we know. We, we love one another. But, but is this, how is this a new command? Yeah. Did not Jesus first say love one another or love each other as you love yourselves? And then he saw we didn't have much love for ourselves and modified it. Love one another as I have loved you. Okay, yeah. I think the tie the two together because no one had even come close to loving them the way Jesus is now showing them here and now. He's in our body. He's loving even Judas and loving his enemies. Tears in his voices when he talks to the Sadducees and Pharisees. So who is he talking to here? Jesus. Who is he talking to? John 13. His disciples. And put yourself in the setting. Who are they? What's their history? Where do they come from? What's their culture? What's their education? What's their perspective? What's their religion? Who's he talking to? He's talking to Jews. That's who he's talking to. He's talking to Jews. And, and the religion that they, they were inculcated in, that they believed, and you see it come through over and over again, and if you read the Gospels over and over again, Hey, should I call? Should we? Should we call fire down from heaven to destroy these people? Yeah. Okay. Uh, how, uh, how, how can how can these people who sin that this man was born blind? Him or his parents? Yeah. Over and over again, they're revealing their mindset, their belief about how God runs His universe. Over and over again, and and if you read the gospel account, what did the disciples reveal in their conversations, as recorded in Scripture, about how they view God runs His government? Wow. Yeah. Authoritarian and legal. Yeah. Imposed law. That's how they viewed it. And so when he says, a new command I give you, that's because they view God's commandments not as principles of love, but as behaviors and rules you have to keep or you'll get punished. They didn't get it. John also writes, uh, John also writes, yes. There were two occasions on which, well, it was actually a repeat of the same occasion, where the contingent of, of cavalry from an enemy were actually destroyed by fire or something. I, I forget exactly how they were, they were destroyed, but when you read a story like that and you think you're the chosen people and you get to sort of bring this kind of wrath from God on somebody... Ahab, Ahab were sending troops out to arrest Elijah. Yeah. And uh, twice the, uh, the captain and his troops, the platoon, were, were destroyed. Yes. Jesus had said earlier, uh, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what they had been taught. Right. It was new to hear Jesus say, love everybody. Yeah, yes, yes. Because they had a system. The eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Yeah. They had a legal system. 
This is what they had. Uh, so again, the question, so how do we recognize if we're part of God's church? We have the Ten Commandments. Did the Jews have the Ten Commandments? Yeah. We have the Sabbath. Yeah. Did the Jews have the Sabbath? Yeah. Hmm. Well, John also wrote, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous, speaking of Christ. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. Hmm. What determines what is right and wrong? That's known as moral decision-making. Some of you may have heard our talk on the seven levels of moral decision-making. But what is it that determines what's right and wrong? It's the character. It depends on what you're God's reality. God's, God's reality. I like where you're going with both of those. God's character, which is the foundation for his creation and his reality, which is... Love. Love. I like that. So, so you determine what is right and wrong by? What's harmonious. What's harmonious? Consistent with God's design. I like that. Consistent with the life and teaching of Jesus. Consistent with the life and teaching of Jesus? I think of non-harmful. Non-harmful? And, what, and, and, and so if we saw somebody with a sharp instrument cutting into another person. Oh, could be surgery, she said. See? Yeah. Oh. Right. Is that, do you all immediately think surgery? You're thinking maybe a murderer. <laughs> See, the act of cutting into someone with a sharp instrument doesn't necessarily mean it is a righteous or a sinful. It depends on really why you're doing it and what you're doing, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. How about cutting off a limb, though? How about, how about just cutting off somebody's limb? But how about if it's gangrenous, right? And you're saving a life. Yeah. But how about if you're in combat and, you know, you know and David's sword, psh, cutting off a limb? They could look similar. Amputation, not quite the same, though, is it? No. Hmm. When you're bleeding today. So what determines what's right? You know, nobody in here said the law. Nobody said the law. Yes. Matthew 22 says that the law and the prophets all hang upon this loving your neighbor. That's right. God with all your heart. That's right. And by the way, if they're not hanging, then they're loose. You know, they don't work. You know, so, he who does what is right is righteous, but right, what, what is right is defined by, and I'm going to say it, God's law. It is defined by God's law. But what law? And how do you understand it? The law that emanates from his character upon which reality is built. That's his law, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Yep. Character is his law. That's right. It's not, a, it's not like human law, though, is it? It's not a list of rules. Yeah, ne- what is right, it's truth. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth. Okay. Next, next verse says, He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Hmm. What is sinful, then? How do you know whether some we we try we tried to, to well how do you know what's right? Let's look at the other side. How do you know what's sinful or wrong? 
devil's methods, God's methods. How do you know what the devil's methods are versus God's methods? How, where do you turn to say, these are the devil's methods and these are God's methods? How do you know? Where do, where do you find that? Law. Somebody said the law. No, no, it's not a circle. It's, it, it's, it, there are objective truthful, important definitions that a discerning mind needs to know to be able to make that distinction. It says in Hebrews 5.14, the mature of those who develop by practice the ability to discern the right from wrong. So they develop by practice because they're doing what? Because they're studying the truth. They're understanding God's eternal design laws upon which he built reality to, to function. And then harmony with those is health and life. Breaking those. So what does the Bible say sin is? Sin is? What's your favorite text on that? Transgression of the law. I think I heard one person say the other one, which is the one where we're going to go. Whatever does not proceed from trust. Whatever doesn't come from trust. That's Romans 14, 23. Whatever doesn't come from trust is sin. Now, can you, t- can you connect those two? Paul, you can check me out. Check your Bible. If you, if you check, Romans 14, 23. In, s- in some versions, it'll say whatever is not of faith is sin. But the same Greek is faith, trust. So, so how is sin transgression of the law? And sin is also whatever is not of trust or faith. C- can you explain those to me? Yes. When you are transgressing the law, you're actually stepping outside of the law. The other translation of that is lawlessness. So you're, you're stepping out of God's design, which is also the same thing as doing something that is not in line with faith and trust. Okay, okay. All right, keep that in mind. We're gonna come, come, let's go to the next verse. Oh, wait. In, in heaven, when Lucifer started his rebellion, did he break a heavenly rule? Was there a rule, thou shalt not cross the street on Tuesdays? <laughs> thou shalt not eat of the fruit of this tree. And Lucifer ate of that tree in heaven. Is that, is that what happened in heaven? No. No. What did Lucifer actually do in heaven? He didn't trust that God's way was he, he, he broke trust. He broke trust with God. He betrayed him. Yes or no? It was a betrayal uh, through pride, through arrogance, through his methods of lying and deceiving. But, but the lies were, to- were, were told for the purpose of betrayal. It was a betrayal of trust. That's what happened in heaven. And he chose to operate outside of God's character. And he chose to operate outside of love because love doesn't betray, does it? Right. Next verse. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Destroy the devil's work. Now, if you value the writings of Ellen White, she says that Satan has labored. If you, if you look it up as work, you won't find it. It's labored. But what's labored mean? Work. work. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So the devil has labored. Do you know what she says he's labored to do? Efface the image of God in man and place Satan's image where God should be. That's his work. He is working to make humans 
satanic in character. To make the spirit temple where, the, where, where God is to dwell so that we are living embodiments of the principles and character of God, that we are in God's image. We are created to be image bearers of, of, of our heavenly father, yes or no? Yes. And Satan wants to erase that and make us image bearers of him. That's his work. Yes. Did he not do that in heaven by breaking character, as you said, or broken, broken relationship, broke trust, by projecting his character onto God? So Satan certainly developed a different character than Christ. And he carried his perverse, deceitful, disruptive, rebellious, untrustworthy, betraying character. Yes, he developed that. Yes, and he tells lies that, that, and projects all that back and tries to make it appear that God is that way. Okay? There's no question that's his strategy. But his goal is to make us function on the principles of fear, self-centeredness, coercion, control. So do you see in the world today, more and more people in the world, as you see and look around the world, as you see what's coming through the media pipelines, are you seeing more and more the image of Christ or more and more the image of Satan? He is working. Next verse. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. This isn't me, folks. This is John. Do you accept this is inspired from Christ? This is inspired Holy Scripture. Do you believe it? Tim, is there a difference between sin and sinning? So, yes. Sin is a state of being. We are born in sin, conceived in iniquity, Psalms 51.5. Sinning is an act of participation. We are born with a condition we did not choose. And sinning, you're continu- you do choose. Right. So, notice this. The one who is born of God will not continue to sin. If we are part of God's church, we will not continue to sin. Does that make you comfortable or uncomfortable? I'm I'm not making this up. It's not me. I'm saying what it says. Do you know this is not what's commonly taught in Christianity? What's commonly taught in Christianity is a fraudulent, penal, legal Christianity that has no transforming power. It has a form of godliness but denies the power thereof, as Paul says elsewhere. Because what it teaches is that sin is a legal problem that occurs, that gets recorded in books in some legal registry in heaven. And salvation is the process of having some external person pay a legal price to the ruling magistrate so that magistrate won't use his power against you to punish you for your sin. And when you claim the payment, you get a legal declaration. And this is what's taught. It's taught right over here at the university. Talk to the professors. They believe this. That justification is when God declares you to be righteous even though you're still unrighteous. But what does 2 Corinthians 5.21 say? He who knew no sin became sin for us. Their substitutionary atonement. We believe Christ is our substitute and Savior. But the Bible tells you why. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might be declared righteous even though we're not. That's not what Scripture says. So that we might become the righteousness of God. And this is what John is saying. That when we become 
saved, when we are converted, when we are, quote, justified, when we are set right, we're set right in heart and mind, and we do right because we're set right, and therefore we live new lives with new hearts. We stop going on sinning. Does that make you comfortable or uncomfortable? Yeah. Well, this has to go back to what we just mentioned a moment ago. Whatever is not a faith is sin. Question. Now, let me, let, let me finish. Let me make this point. Whatever's not a faith is sin. Remember, lies believed break the circle of love and trust. And the broken circle of love and trust result in fear and selfishness. And the fear and selfishness in the heart leads to the acts of sin. When we are converted, the truth has displaced the lies. One is back to trust, so we're no longer out of trust. And in trust, we open the heart and God pours his love into our heart, Romans 5.5. 5. We are reborn or recreated with new motives and new desires. So our hearts now live in faith or in trust, seeking to honor God. We may, in our human foibles, our shortcomings, our old habit patterns, our, our, our re- preconditioned responses that we developed while we were out of trust with God, we may, in certain moments, react in ways that, that our new heart doesn't want to react. This is Romans 7. The things that I want to do, sometimes I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Oh, what a wretched man am I. Who's going to save me from this body? That is not a person who has broken trust. Their spirit, their heart, their new way, their new motives, they want to honor God. But sometimes our old habit patterns, neural wiring, preconditioned responses reflexively react in certain circumstances. We find the old way sprouting out. We go, oh, I'm sick. I don't want to be that way. See, the heart doesn't rejoice in that. The heart grieves in that. That heart has not broken trust. Exactly. It's the trend of your life. The, the, but the penal legal person, well, you just had a bad word slip out of your mouth when the hammer hit your thumb. <laughs> You've sinned, and if you don't, if you, if you don't confess it, it's in the book now, and God's going to send you to the bad place. Oh, okay? The issue is that, that John is making here, makes us part of the church, is that we live in love for God, and we don't go on living, go on living in selfish independence from God. And every time we find that a human foible, an old pattern, a weakness uh, that we haven't had the full victory in yet causes us to stumble, the person who doesn't break faith immediately runs to Jesus and says, Jesus, oh, I'm, what? I'm so weak. I am so in need of you. Oh, please fin- finish the work in me. You are the author and finisher of my faith. Whereas the unconverted, the selfish, justify, it wasn't me, it was the woman you gave me, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, what? Yeah, George, go. Ephesians 6.12 ties in so well here. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, with man-made weapons, but against all individuals, entities, and powers that misrepresent that misrepresent God and darken minds against Satan, the originator of lies about God and his cohorts, who also misrepresent God in the heavenly realms. And the next verse is on, on the armor we need. And I'm thinking, you know, some people refer to, they're friends of mine. Now, I don't agree with them on some of their thoughts. But, you know, I go way back with some of these people that do teach and are involved with the religion department. Such so challenges. A lot of us have, re, you know, relationships with people there and, and people beyond that. So let's keep pressing together how we can try to find ways to reach out to these people that are miserable or are concerned and they're not, they're not hitting the mark. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Do you want to know? This is not me. This is John. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God. 
nor is anyone who does not love his brother. How do you know? Those who live in harmony with God's principles of love. Greater love is no man that he gives life for a friend. This is how we know what love is, that Christ gave his life for us, and we ought to give our lives for each other. If you practice the principles of this world, it's about me. Principles of this world, it's about me. I'll take from you to make me advance. Whereas the principles of Christ, I'll take from me to help uplift others. I'll spend my time, my energy, my resources for the blessings of other people. This is the difference. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. Understand there are two antagonistic principles warring for every heart and mind. Satan's principle of fear-based, me-first, survival drives against God's principles of greater love as no man then he gives life for a friend. Love versus selfishness are antagonistic and they're, and they're competing for every heart and mind. Satan's, God's people love others to the point of self-sacrifice. Satan's people force others to do what they want and will even kill others to advance themselves. And Satan's people hate the light, the truth, and those who live in the light because the light itself, truth itself, condemns them. You don't have to use words to condemn people. You only have to live virtuously and righteously, and your righteous living condemns them. If you honor a heterosexual faithful marriage, that condemns people who don't. You never have to say a word. It's condemning. This is, this is why certain groups in society today are so aggressive in their intolerance of those who hold to Christian values and are always seeking to force their perversity into the public sphere and make everyone react to it and praise them and validate them and pat them on the back because their own consciences are convicting them of guilt and shame and they're trying to offset that with external validation. And if you don't actually use the pronouns that they want to be called by to tell them that you agree that they are whatever they say they are, even though they're not. (laughs) Then they will want to destroy you because they can't stand the truth. Now notice the big difference here. I want you to notice the big difference between Satan's people and God's people. God's people are the people of truth, love, and freedom. And we give anybody, if anybody is free to say that they want to do in governance themselves whatever they choose. Now, they're not free to reap healthy benefits from doing unhealthy things. They won't. They will reap unhealthy unhealthy outcomes. But they're free to choose the unhealthy. So they're free to call themselves whatever pronouns they want. And we wouldn't try to force them to say they can't, would we? But notice the difference. The people in that camp are not willing to give other people the freedom and governance of themselves in what they speak and what they think. They want to force you with government coercive pressures and, in to- and other types of, of societal pressure mm-hmm. to coerce you out of fear 
to behave and speak the way they say is right. That's satanic. It's evil. You see, notice when they accuse Jesus of having a demon. Jesus didn't say, you are not using the proper pronouns in speaking to me. No. He said, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings forth good of the good stored up, and the evil man brings forth the evil of the evil stored up. When people use words, they're actually revealing what's in their own heart. And if we speak ugly, unkind, cruel, deceitful, wrong, abusive words, we're condemning ourselves. Jesus said, it's by your words you will be acquitted. By your words you will be condemned. Our words reveal the nature of our own character. So, but the evil in the society doesn't allow for that. doesn't allow simply to say, oh, I'm sorry that you're, you feel... No, they want to put... Core, and then if you surrender to that, what happens? What happens to you if you give in? You are changed by that and not in good ways. This is what we read in Ephesians, that when all this pressure comes from the world... You must put on the armor of Christ and stand firm. You don't have to go out and attack people, but you certainly, in governance of yourself, do not surrender the way you govern yourself to them. You don't live by their standard. And that's one of the devil's temptations. That's why he says, vengeance is mine, I'll repay. Because he has their salvation in mind. You just want to get even with them. And it's easy to be sucked into treating them the way they treat you. The reason they want to destroy in silence, remember Jesus said those who live in darkness don't want to come into the light lest their evil deeds be exposed. The truth is authoritative. The truth itself. Not the speaker of the truth. The actual truth. And you're living the truth even without giving a sermon is authoritative and it brings condemnation for those who are living destructively or falsely. And thus, it brings, it brings disquietude to their own souls. And so they seek to destroy the light and all the light bearers in society, to put them out. And this is what's happening in our world today. We're going to try to finish this uh, little section up. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. It's a very powerful passage. Leave that up there. Very powerful passage. We pass from death to life if we love one another. But if we don't, we remain in death. Think of the implication of what this is saying. Is this saying that if you don't love that you will be legally condemned and then externally executed? Or is it saying you remain in death because you have a condition which is terminal? We are dead in trespass and sin, the Bible says. We have a condition that without Christ results in ruin. The wage of sin is death. Sin, when full grown, brings forth death. Those who sow to the carnal nature, from that nature reap destruction. This condition is out of harmony with God and the source of life. It alienates us from the source. We cut ourselves off from, from life. We are, we are born in this condition. We didn't choose it. And we are offered reconciliation, restoration, recreation, remedy through Christ Jesus so that the old will die and we get a new heart and right spirit. The, the law of, is written on the heart and mind, which is the law of love. And thus we have life. 
if we have the law of love and we love. We are restored to unity with God and we have life. This is a powerful, powerful passage. And we'll close with this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. You know, understand this does not make sense to the world. If you want to live, be willing to let yourself die. That does not make sense. The only way you live is by killing others who would try to kill you. That's how you live. Stephen should have called a a group of, of armed apostles to attack the people with the stones. And if he'd have done that, he could have lived, but instead he died. There's no life there for Stephen. He's dead. But wait, or did he actually receive something more than temporal life, eternal life? Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you have sent Jesus to reveal the mystery of your eternal plan to restore all things in heaven and earth into unity with you, to eradicate all the defects from your design, all sin, all betrayal, all distrust, to restore us back into perfection and give us eternal life through Jesus Christ. We ask that your spirit will take his victory, reproduce it in us, bring us back into the harmony and unity that you have designed for us to have from the beginning of time. In this world in which we live where there's so much harm, so much disease, so much falsehood, so much distrust, let your love, light, principles, methods be seen in our lives and let the truth shine brightly that the world would be lighted and you will come soon. We pray in your holy name. Amen.